This is the 84th episode of Decoding Fox News, and I'm your host, Juliet Jeske. Each week, I watch and analyze. This past week was 19 <laughs> hours of Fox News and then break it down. I watch all the Fox News you'd never want to. Now, sometimes my podcasts are funny and goofy, and sometimes they're not. And this past week, the news cycle was a bit heavy, so I'm just warning everybody right now. It's probably not going to be a funnier episode, but I do have some great clips to show you. Here's the headline. Fox News started the week with manufactured drama and ended with a real-life tragedy in Israel. But this is how the week started. We're already, we already knew Commander Biden was not exactly a sweet lapdog. If it weren't that now Commander has adjusted his dining preferences, moving on from Secret Service agents to the White House groundskeeper, <laughs> this is... Don't we sense the two tiers of justice even apply to the canine perpetrators, right? Any dog in D.C. that bites one time has to be quarantined for right. 10 days. You got to get all the shots. Da, da, da. You get a warning. That dog bites twice. Major. Biden's dog commander is no longer at the White House after a series of biting incidents. The administration dodging Peter Ducey's question about commander's bad behavior. How many times has that dog bitten the Bidens? I would refer, I would, uh, I would refer you to the Secret Service and also the First Lady's office. Okay. Uh, it's the 12th known incident of this dog biting a White House staffer. A lot of times when that happens, there's a lawsuit. Isn't the president worried about getting sued? I would refer you to the Secret Service or the First Lady's office. First of all, the Biden administration, I think, acted decisively. They didn't wait till the 13th person that got bit. After 12, they said, enough. And they killed two birds with one stone, because I just found out that Commander the Dog is now at the border, biting immigrants, trying to sneak over. So that was Peter Ducey that you heard in the middle there, who was trying to be incredibly serious about asking the press secretary, the White House press secretary, about Commander the German Shepherd, who's a pet of Joe Biden and his wife. Okay, and then the last voice was Rob Schneider, a man who identifies as a comedian. And even, I didn't play the whole clip, but even Laura Ingram couldn't be forced to fake a laugh. She was like, ha, 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 if you watch Laura Ingram, she's she always I've said this before, but she's like uh, Cruella DeVille, but no glamour. So it's like this Disney villainess who seems to take delight in saying and doing horrible things. But then she's just not, you know, just kind of pedestrian, kind of, eh. you know, Ingram has no cape, no long sweeping gown, no fabulous coat, eh, no hair, no headdress, you know, like you'd expect on a Disney villainess. She's just sort of like. I'm in my smart outfit and I'm going to clench my jaw when I speak. Arr. Okay, so last week was incredibly intense to cover Fox News because I thought I had this like midweek. I was like, I got this. I got the theme. I know the clips I'm going to use. And then went right off the rails and then went right off the rails again. So last week was a roller coaster of false outrage, genuine panic and gut wrenching emotion. The first segment on Fox and Friends, I kid you not, I checked it was a short piece about Taylor Swift and her latest love interest, an NFL football player named Travis Kelsey. It was truly the calm before the storm as Fox producers had no idea how tumultuous the rest of the week would become. 
by Tuesday evening. And that what you heard is, of course, a montage about Commander the Dog. There were so many. Se- I didn't even include all the segments. That's just the funnier segments. Like they acted like there was a major story that this poor dog, who's probably stressed out of its wits, is biting people at the White House. So that, yeah. Okay. By Tuesday evening, every host on the network completely melted down after the news broke that eight Republicans and every Democrat in the House of Representatives voted to oust Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. It was a self-inflicted wound on the party driven by extremist novice lawmakers run amok. The removal of the Speaker of the House was a big deal, of course, as it's the only time in history of the Republic that a Speaker has been removed by a floor vote. Now, I questioned if that was correct. I found that on two sources. It's hyperlinked in the newsletter if you want to check that out. It was also evidence of a political party being dominated by egotists who seem more focused on media attention than governing. Within 48 hours, Fox News hosts calmed down a bit, only to flip out again after Hillary Clinton compared Trump supporters to a cult who needed a formal deprogramming during a CNN interview. Multiple hosts on the networks claimed Clinton statements would lead to North Korean-style re-education camps filled with beleaguered Republicans forced to accept woke ideology. The chief, all-powerful Democrat villainess had spoken, democracy was dead. Along the outsized hysteria about the retired Speaker of the House's statements were segments about the president's dog, a drunk monkey terrorizing a suburb, and an updated version of Bambi, the classic Disney film. I couldn't make that up. Those are all true stories. The drunk monkey is a true story. It was in the five. By Saturday morning, the network's usual histrionics over nonsense looked absolutely trivial when horrific images from a surprise attack in Israel started flooding social media. Although the network has neglected to cover similar horrors from Ukraine for months now, this new massacre could not be ignored. Now, the shows I covered last week were Fox and Friends, and then I picked up Fox and Friends Saturday, The Five, The Ingram Angle, and then on Tuesday I picked up Special Report with Brett Baer, Jesse Waters Primetime, and Hannity. That's in addition to the shows I normally cover. So it was, it was intense. It was 19 hours. Uh, now, this next clip is the theme that I thought was going to dominate this podcast because it seemed like you couldn't top it. But of course, it did get topped by Hillary, and then Hillary got topped by the horrible events on Saturday. So um, I thought, how do I? So I've already done a podcast on this, but not everybody listens to every episode, and that would it would be remiss for me not to include this because it was a big story last week. So I just picked my favorite uh, Fox News host reaction from the news that. Um, Kevin McCarthy was ousted as speaker and thought I would include that. So again, when this happened on Fox, it hit everyone blindside. It blindsided everybody. So there was a huge emotional reaction for about 48 hours and then it diminished and they immediately pivoted to another huge emotional reaction um, as Foxes want to do. So you can probably guess who I'm going to pull here. I'm just going to give you the show. Um, you request, my regulars request me to impersonate this person all the time, which is decibels of unknown proportions, very loud human being, small but loud, small but loud, 
dressed to the nines. You know who I'm talking about. Here we go. First of all, we're without a speaker. This is historic. Something like this hasn't happened in well over 100 years. And now what we've got is total chaos when the Republicans are playing out their infighting on national television in a historic way instead of fighting Joe Biden's policies. The one time we are up in virtually every metric as it relates to the Biden administration, you've got the Republicans going out there and showing how dysfunctional they are as Matt Gates is engaging in fundraising. And I got to tell you something. I am furious. There's no question that this is something that they have been trying to do for almost nine months that McCarthy's been speaker. And the truth is that they've done a lot in Congress. They've got a lot of bills passed. The fact that the Senate doesn't want to take them. They've done a lot in terms of oversight. And, you know, now you've got the Democrats. This is a crazy thing. Democrats who hate the MAGA Republicans are now joining with the MAGA Republicans to oust uh, Speaker McCarthy. This is like the devil is in the middle of all of this chaos. And Donald Trump is right. Why are the Republicans fighting with each other like this? So, Judge Jeanine, I have a hint for you. Now, this is from the same evening, The Ingram Angle, um, and it's Laura Ingram interviewing Representative Matt Gates, the very person who caused uh, Speaker McCarthy to lose his speakership. And she's asking Matt Gates what he thinks Trump thinks about all of this. So here you go. And it seemed to indicate that maybe he was maybe in favor of what you were doing, but wasn't going to say so publicly. What can you tell us tonight, since he really is the leader of the party and you are a MAGA Republican and he's the top dog? So what do you say? Absolutely. I support President Trump, eager to campaign with him. Probably our private conversations I'm going to keep to us, but I think I'm in pretty good stead with the former president. You'll now, you can't really see his facial expression when he said that, but he's just beaming like, <laughs> I think Trump's pretty happy with what I've done here. Trust me, I'm not going to share a private conversation. That's my not very good impression of Matt Gates. So, um, <laughs> but that's the energy. The energy is just like, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to be campaigning with him. He thinks I'm a rock star. And I'm like, yeah, until he gets rid of you like he does to everybody else. Um... Anyway, so that was, I mean, he just basically spells it out. They're like, how could this happen? How could this happen? How could this happen? And then he's like, yeah, he's totally down with it. Trump thinks what I did was amazing. Trump thinks I'm amazing. Let's get rid of that speaker because Trump's all that chaos. So anyway, um, then we move on. I should give a note out to my sponsor since I'm 11 and a half minutes in very quickly. Um, you will not hear a commercial on this podcast because I don't have any actual commercial sponsors. I love one, but I don't have one yet. So this podcast is paid for 100% from listeners of this podcast and readers of my newsletter. What is the newsletter, you may ask? The newsletter is the written version of this podcast, which can be found at my Substack. Every week I publish a podcast and a newsletter on the same day. It's basically one's audio. One's written, and it's not one of those sloppy transcripts that's hard to read. It's a very proper newsletter with hyperlinks throughout, so you can check out my sources if you'd like. If you'd like to become a paid subscriber of this Substack uh, podcast, you can do so by going to my Substack at Decoding Fox News. Go to Patreon for Decoding Fox News. 
Uh, paid subscriptions for um, this project are $5 a month. Pretty, I went for the absolute lowest I could go. Um, and if you can't afford to, I totally understand. I always tell people to share the podcast, share the newsletter, share my goofy videos on Twitter or threads, or now I'm posting more on Facebook or Instagram. And I'm about to play one for you that went unbelievably viral on Instagram, which shocked me. But I'm finding like every different platform is a little different. And Instagram lends itself to kind of goofy slapstick. So what I did, I also posted this as a standalone video on my Substack channel because I found that that also helps pull people in. A very funny an anecdote is last week, uh, somebody who had just joined, um, I don't think she knew what I did, uh, got very angry that I, that I always posted podcasts and videos. And I thought to myself, well, that's what I do. <laughs> I also post a newsletter, but my primary thing is the um, videos and podcasts because that's what I'm good at. That's what I know how to whip out. That's just, that's my skill set. Um, I can also write, you know, but that's just what I do. And I thought, so I checked the analytics of the entire project just for the heck of it. And the number one thing that brings in new subscribers is uh, the podcast and the videos. The newsletter does fine. It gets more uh, eye eyeballs on it. Than anything else I do every single week, the newsletter is the top performing uh, situation. But the thing that brings new people in, and I have to have growth or I'll die, are the podcasts and the videos. So that blew me away. I had no idea. Um, I also had a funny note about the impressions I do, which were, as you know, an accident that started kind of at the very beginning. And I got such amazingly overwhelming feedback about them. They've become like a regular staple. I don't know if I'll be doing one today because this is kind of a heavier podcast and I, I don't want to be disrespectful. Um, but this one is a bit funny. This is a series I'm now starting to call Things Got Awkward on Fox and Friends. And it's Steve Ducey just kind of doing a Steve Ducey where he just kind of goes in a contrarian way. Like, are, is management telling him to do this? I don't know. But it is so amusing when he does this. And you can't see it. I'll just describe, I'll set the scene. He's sitting on the couch next to Ansley Anhart and Brian Kilmeade. For whatever reason, I think Lawrence Jones was on location that morning. He's now a member of Fox and Friends. I think he was at a, uh, he was in a diner. And um, they're sitting there and Steve Ducey just starts talking kind of crazy. And the, his two co-hosts are just giving him looks of death, like just shut up, but they can't say that. So he zoomed in on the video and it's, it's, it's doing, it's like gangbusters on uh, social media. So this is the clip. So, so with the 118th Congress, there is this rule where, and this would apply to Donald Trump because Donald Trump, you know, if he's toying with the idea, apparently he, he can't, uh, the article is in the New York Post this morning, Donald Trump can't be speaker right now uh, because there is a House rule that restricts people with felony indictments from House leadership and because he's facing all those charges. He, uh, the House certainly could change it, but I was talking to somebody down in D.C. yesterday, you know, just imagine. If somebody put Donald Trump's name into nomination, mm -hmm. every Democrat would vote for Donald Trump. Because if you look at X right now, 
uh, the White House and the DNC, they're talking about all the chaos on the Democrat uh, on the Republican side with the Capitol coup. Yeah. They would love the chaos to continue. So if Donald Trump were in nomination, every Democrat in the House would vote for him, and he only needs five Republicans. He could be, if they change that rule, the next speaker. We'll see. Uh, that would be crazy. Yeah. Among the other if you want to have a good laugh, um, go to my Instagram for Decoding Fox News. I don't have a huge following on Instagram. I don't post that much on Instagram because it's a totally different format than the other places I post on. Read the comment section. It is hilarious. And the other thing that's very funny about uh, Instagram with anything I post on there, because again, I don't post that much. I tend to post some more jokey stuff on there. Um, is people get in fights with each other in the comment section and they tend to get very creative with their insults. And uh, it, it's, I don't do this. Like I don't fight with people online. I just go, thank you so much, bye. And then I mute or I block immediately because I'm just like, I have too much to do. I'm not wasting my time with you. But people who I guess have free time and enjoy sparring with strangers on the internet, they are pretty funny. Oh my goodness, they are funny. Um, so, because they were just dying. They're like, there's no way the Democrats would vote for Trump. And they just, like, oh, they just went off. They went off. They went off. And it, what I, what's also funny about this, and I, I think why Ducey does this and why, or why they have him do it, if this is orchestrated by Fox management, I think why they choose him as their vessel is he's been there forever. And he's got this, like, gosh darn it way of doing this. So he's just like, oh, you know, I just got this idea. I was just thinking maybe we could do this or maybe we could do that, you know, you know, maybe we could go back and get a newspaper and then to pick up a rotary phone and then complain about the price of Cracker Jack because he does stuff like that. Anyway, it's my eccentric boomer. So moving on. Uh, so on Saturday, September 30th, this is another big one. They tried to start this the week with this one as well. And this one kind of faltered almost immediately because I don't think it was as, as exciting as they thought it would be. So on Saturday, September 30th, uh, Representative Jamal Bowman of New York pulled a fire alarm in a building near the Capitol. He claimed he was rushing to vote on the floor and accidentally pulled the alarm thinking it would open an emergency door. His Republican critics claimed he intentionally pulled the alarm to delay the vote on a 45-day spending measure to keep the government open. U.S. Capitol Police are investigating the incident. Um, I saw the door. It does look confusing. It does clearly look like a fire alarm so i'm not sure why he pulled it thinking that would open the door but some doors do have like a button on the side if you hit the button the door will open and he may have thought it was something like that i don't really care because he was in a totally different building it wasn't in the capitol it probably was an accident it may not have been but at the end of the day it's like eh, i don't know it's may, maybe it was a stunt maybe it wasn't i don't really care but of course on Fox, they tried to make this into a major, major thing, saying he should be arrested, kicked out of Congress. It got dramatic. Greg Gutfeld had my favorite response to this because he slipped up and said something absolutely horrible. Um, I'm going to play it, stop it, and show you. And then I clipped it, put it on Twitter, and he claimed he got, like, tried to get mad at me again, which was just stupid because I just shrug and keep going, which is exactly what I did. Um, and my followers got a, got a laugh out of that. Um, but this is what he said. You can hear it, but he compares, um, the fire alarm pull to 9-11. You couldn't, you can't make this stuff up. 
Um, but he does. And I think he meant to say January 6th, but he didn't say January 6th. He said 9-11. Here's the clip. You know, there is, I wouldn't dismiss the calling Republicans Nazis so lightly because if you, this has always been part of the strategy. If you call somebody Hitler or you call somebody a Nazi, why wouldn't you sabotage a vote? Why wouldn't you rig an election? Why wouldn't you create a witch hunt against the person that you've been calling Hitler? So they call them Nazis to justify this behavior. Anything is possible. No question, he tried to interrupt a government official business. This is probably the worst deliberate act since 9-11. See, I didn't even catch it till the second time I listened to it when I was making it into a clip. And I said, did he just say 9-11? And he just said 9-11. He says, this is his quote. This is directly from the transcript. Um, Anything is possible, no question. He tried to interrupt a government official business. This is probably the worst deliberate act since 9-11. What? Yes, that's what he said. Now, this is the rest of the clip. Uh, the question is, uh, does he go to prison? It's for how long he was trying to initiate an insurrection on his own, and he should be treated just like the January Sixers, which gets to my amazing comparison. When you think about the extreme wacky participants of what happened on January 6th, the nutty conspiracists, the QAnon suckers, the misguided pirates, they weren't a sitting congressman, you know, and that's the key difference in these parties. On the right, the freaks aren't in power. On the left, the freaks are in power. And if you want proof, compare how they create their own conspiracies. The conspiracies origins on the right, they bubble up from chat rooms. They bubble up from uh, uh, Reddit or uh, nobodies in forums and chat rooms, right? And they're crazy and they don't really go anywhere. But on the left, their conspiracies are created by a cabal of institutions, right, and politicians. Who created the Steele dossier? That didn't come from a QAnon. That came from Hillary, right? The Russian collusion, uh, suppressing uh, Hunter's laptop. These were all done by professionals, people that are high up in the party. So on the right, the nuts remain nuts. On the left, the nuts become elevated, and they end up running the country. I think we should be really, really frightened by that. This dude has to face the same consequences. He should not be, you know, he should be expelled. That's what you would do in his school. As a principal, you would expel a student for pulling that. So he should not be, he should go to jail. Okay, so I think it's rather obvious he meant to say January 6th, but he said 9-11. But I cannot infer, nor can I read his mind. If you didn't, if you said something, you said something. It's out there. It's recorded. You got to deal with it. Now, what was funny about this is that Greg Gutfeld got so mad at me for, I don't know, doing my job. He retweeted it. And I, I'm guessing it may have gotten 20,000 views on Twitter, whatever Twitter views actually mean, because we know they're inflated. But it may have gotten like 20,000 views on Twitter. And by retweeting it, it got... 220,000 views. I had like maybe two trolls, and I'm not kidding, two. One had a following about my size. He tried to make it into a joke, and that didn't really perform that well. He got like 5,000 views on that, and that's pretty bad. When you have a when you have 145,000 followers, that's not a very well-performing tweet. Um, 
especially when you're like, oh, I'm going to make this grand attack against this woman who, you know, criticizes Fox. It just, it died. Because it was like, it's just hard to make that funny. And he was trying to make a 9-11 and he put a bunch of other tragedies together. Anyway, um, also I just want to point out that you're talking about expelling a freely elected member of Congress. So all the people in his district would not have a congressperson because this guy pulled a fire alarm. Really? Okay. And you're saying that the right wing doesn't have crazies in government what okay lauren bobert marjorie taylor green paul gosar to name a few to name a few i'd throw matt gates in there as well are you donald j trump are you kidding me are you kidding me i mean marjorie taylor green was legitimately promoting there's evidence of it uh rachel maddow played it on her show she was promoting jewish space lasers as an actual conspiracy that were like affecting the weather. And another thing that uh, Fox News host kind of freaked out over before Hillary made her comment was a gag order issued by a judge in the fraud case, the civil fraud case that Donald J. Trump is facing in New York. I'm just gonna play these clips. The first one is from Laura Ingram. The second is from PBS NewsHour. And you're gonna see very quickly how these two networks handled the same story. So, again, words, focus on, on words. Pay no attention to the stuff that the Democrats are doing to destroy and endanger America. Pay attention to the stuff that Donald Trump says. Words are dangerous to them. So he really shouldn't be allowed to speak freely. This is why gag orders are being issued and sought. Yesterday, Judge Arthur Engeron slapped a partial gag order on Trump forbidding all parties from posting, emailing, or speaking publicly about members of his staff. Trump had posted a pic of one of uh, the judge's law clerks with Schumer and made a crack on Truth Social, I guess, about her being one of Schumer's girlfriends. Now, look, I think it was an unforced error by Trump's team. No reason to do that. But if it wasn't that, it would have been something else. The judge in this New York case is Arthur Engeron. He imposed a gag order on Mr. Trump yesterday. Why? What led to that? So Judge Engeron imposed this gag order very quickly on Trump, for, saying that he can't make comments about court staff. And this came hours after former President Trump attacked that judge's principal law clerk on social media, on True Social. Trump uh, baselessly accused the law clerk of having a relationship with Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and also said that this law clerk is running the case against me. This should be dismissed immediately. And this is clearly a pattern uh, from the former president where he is directly attacking any officials uh, that are involved in these cases. So I should introduce those voices to you really quickly. That's Amnya Navas, who's the co-anchor of the NewsHour, and that's Laura Barone Lopez, who is the White House correspondent for the NewsHour. Now, if you notice in the second clip, they include more detail and that the language used in the post on Truth Social by Donald J. Trump was hostile. He's making accusations about this woman. He's not just showing a picture of her. Um, in the first, Laura, Laura Ingram tries to paint this as some part of a vast conspiracy against Trump. Like, they would have come at him anyway. It doesn't matter. I wouldn't have done that. Now, she's a trained lawyer. And she would know that in a public case such as this one, you gag orders are very common because you don't want stuff getting out out in the ether, out in the media before or during a trial. So this is this makes perfect sense that you would put a gag order on just about anything like this. Um, and then Trump's behavior is incredibly hostile. And we know from past incidents that Ruby Freeman 
the poll worker in Georgia was harassed within an inch of her life when Trump decided to target her on social media. So this is a problem. We Somebody could get hurt. Somebody could get killed. Somebody could at least be harassed to the point that they can't live their life normally. And we don't want that, right? We don't want that. So a gag order is not uh, out of out of the question at all in this instance. So the next big drama, out, uh, manufactured outrage of last week was um, Hillary Clinton said something in an interview, called the police, you know, run for the mountains, go to your bomb shelter. I mean, they, they I mean, it was just meltdown after meltdown after meltdown. So Friday morning, Hillary Clinton, she had a couple interviews. She had one on PBS last week as well, and she had one on CNN. And she made a statement uh, during the interview where she basically said Trump supporters are a cult. And they, I don't know. And she said it kind of casually, like, I don't know. Maybe they need a formal deprogramming. She said it like that, like in just this kind of throwaway kind of, you know, whatever. And um, pretty much everyone on Fox, again, just as they had on Tuesday, lost their minds again. So this is Friday. So we've gone from, whew, boring week, speaker gets ousted, everybody loses their mind, gag order, that was like half a freak out, and now Hillary Clinton says something, oh my god, ah, run for the hills. Now I had several instances of this, I have several examples, and I put a lot of them on threads and Twitter. Um, this one I hadn't posted yet, so I thought I'd include it in the newsletter. And it's Stephen Miller, of all people, who, again, he was the former speechwriter and senior advisor to Donald J. Trump. He's one of the men behind the horrific family separation policy at the border, where children were taken away from their parents on purpose to dissuade families from crossing the border. They actually thought that was a good idea. Okay, so given that context, this ghoulish human being, this is what he had to say about Hillary Clinton's statement. They're telegraphing their true intentions, Kaylee. The biggest mistake that we can possibly make is the mistake that others have made in countries before ours in different time periods when there was a fascist movement, an authoritarian movement, an autocratic movement that demonized and dehumanized the political opposition. And people said, oh, they're not serious. We don't, we don't think there's any real threat. We're going to dismiss it. Joe Biden, when he says that they want to get rid of the MAGA threat, when they describe those who dissent from his agenda as the equivalent of enemies of the state, when the Department of Justice, as you mentioned, targets concerned parents and now targets Trump supporters, what you are seeing is the machinery of the state, something unthinkable in our history, the machinery of the state being turned inward as an instrument of oppression against Christian Americans, against Americans of faith, against pro-Trump Americans, against those who reject the left's cultural and social agenda in our schools and workplaces. This is a terrifying moment, in my opinion. I should have said this at the beginning. Um, Kaylee McEnany was sub-hosting for Laura Ingram. Even though you don't hear her voice, he does address her at the beginning of that statement by saying Kaylee. So it's, I just should have explained that earlier, so not to make it too confusing. Now, what is interesting about the words he used is they're very, like, draconian, apocalyptic, you know, very hyperbole is not even a word I could use for that because there's, it's just so over the top. And I felt that he was echoing 
kind of white Christian nationalism a little bit with this whole, like, you're going after good Christian people. Stephen Miller is not a Christian, but he has known ties to uh, white supremacists, which is, again, can't even explain that because he is a Jewish man. I've never, there's always a few in every group, just like you can find uh, black people who will, black Americans who will go on YouTube and trash black Americans. You can find women who will do the same where they just trash women. Every, you can find any ethnic group, you can find a person that seemingly just just is baffling. Like, what are you doing? What What's going on here? It, there, there's not a lot of them, but they, they're very, it's very odd. And Stephen Miller is someone who doesn't seem to quite understand that a white supremacist would never view him as white. Never, 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 never. I've studied these people. They would never view him as white. They're twisted, evil, horrible belief system that I can't even, I, I won't waste time on. But yes, just the way he speaks of it, just this, you know, I, I just, and the, the reason why this is so silly is Hillary Clinton is a grandmother who lives in suburban New York. She might have some influence over the party. She cannot write a law. She cannot vote on anything. She's not writing policy. She's just doing interviews. I'm sure she makes plenty of speeches. <laughs> she'll, she'll probably have a book or two left in her before she uh, uh, leaves this realm. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I have no, I cannot imagine her running for office again. I don't think she's going to do that. So why are we freaking out? She just made a statement. Now, this is Jessica Tarloff. This is actually from earlier in the day, same day, same Friday. But she sort of answers Stephen Miller in some ways. Hi, Jessica. You would hear words like deplatforming, deprogramming, cult, all haters uh, in countries like the Soviet Union, China, North Korea. Isn't that in itself a threat to democracy? Hillary Clinton giving an interview? No. Uh, saying what she said in the interview. No. It, it's not a threat to democracy. Does it land in a bunch of GOP ads heading into an election? Sure. That's what happened with the basket of deplorables comment. But I really need everyone to spare me the faux outrage and the pearl clutching about this. Little collection of things that Donald Trump and high-ranking Republicans call liberals on a daily basis. Anarchists, anti-American, deranged, Communists, corrupt, compromised, groomers and perverts, thugs and traitors. Now, she was explicit that she was talking about a subsection of the Republican Party the same way that Joe Biden is when he talks about this MAGA extremism. But you tell me if the leader of the Democratic Party, so that would be Joe Biden, was facing four indictments with 91 felony counts, he had been found liable of sexually assaulting a woman and defaming her. That's E. Jean Carroll. Guilty of fraud, sharing the nation's secrets, not only in the Mar-a-Lago indictment, but there was a report yesterday from ABC News that he had shared information about our nuclear submarine capacities with an Australian billionaire who's a member at Mar-a-Lago who had then gone on and shared that with dozens of other people. Ended up making a purchase, I think, of three subs. It included specifics up to how many nuclear warheads they carry and how close they can get to Russian subs without being detected. And then I told you, so all of that is happening and he's shooting up in the polls. And when you see those interviews of Trump supporters outside of the rallies, they're like, none of this is true. It's the big lie. He won the election, et cetera. And you wouldn't say to me, you guys are in a cult? It's actually tame. 
what Hillary Clinton was saying. So after watching all these people freak out over Hillary Clinton, I was like cheering this. I was like, go, Charloff, go! Because what she says is correct. Um, that's the thing that's so crazy about the MAGA people. And I'm calling them the MAGA people. Mega MAGA, I don't care. But the people who you see at the Trump rallies, some of us are related to these people who, uh, you know, if you ask them, they think Trump's still president or they think he didn't lose the last election, that he secretly won, that it's all a conspiracy, that there's a deep state, that the Great Reset is really happening, that the Great Replacement is a thing, that um, cultural Marxism is a thing, and that the, the government's going to make us eat bugs, which is, that's my personal favorite. Um, nobody else seems to be completely like, what, T towards that one, but that's, a theory, there are people that do eat bugs. They're actually eaten all over the world. And there is a push to have people eat bugs because it's like more environmentally conscious because you, bugs don't need much to grow and and it's just, they're really easy to, to I guess, harvest. It's so strange to think that. But as somebody, okay, so I have a very specific diet as a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian since I was fairly young, still a child. So this is, I can tell you, I can control what I eat. Now, sometimes I'm sure I've had things without knowing it that had meat in it or something like that. Um, anybody on a restricted diet or specific diet always, you know, has to worry about that. People who have food allergies, people who are gluten intolerant, the whole nine yards. We go out of our ways to make sure we're eating what we should be eating and what we want to eat. So this idea that somehow the government's going to secretly put bugs in food and we're going to eat bugs and not be, have access to meat is, I find very, very humorous because this is a uh, free market economy that's driven on profit. Uh, you know, if, if meat will probably get more expensive in the next couple generations because of population and arable land and all that. But if people want it, they're still going to be able to get it. I, I cannot imagine for a, a moment... And there's food labeling, like, d calm down. No one's gonna fake make you eat bugs if you don't want to. So this next person is a fox guest goes rogue. And a fox guest goes rogue segment is when someone is invited on Fox News and they don't stick to the script. They say something unexpected. They say something that goes against what Fox is trying to push and it is glorious. These are some of my favorite segments ever. So this is uh, someone who's done this before actually. So I was kind of surprised they had him on again. But he's a criminal defense attorney in New York City named Elliot Felig. And he was discussing Hunter Biden. Now this was kind of funny because they can't really do anything as far as this impeachment inquiry is into President Biden because the House can't do anything right now. There's no speaker. They can't do anything. Um, and the case, the criminal case against Hunter Biden is kind of making its way through the courts. Um, and this um, criminal defense attorney kind of put a wet blanket on some of the hysteria around this case. Felig joins us right now here in Studio M. Elliot, good to have you. Good morning. Uh, how much trouble is Hunter Biden in? 
You know, the prosecutors basically already showed their hand in this case back in July when they agreed at least tentatively to a no-jail disposition. Right. The key factors there, the fact that it was a first arrest or that he doesn't have a record, the fact that it's under the law a nonviolent crime, the fact that there's a constitutional question hanging over the statute, those factors are all still in place. So even though the deal fell apart, I think the prosecutors still are open to wrapping this up with a no-jail plea. So I wanted to include that because it's so rare when that happens on the network, when somebody just says, yeah, no, he's not going to go to prison, <laughs> especially with Hunter Biden. And I have a feeling I'll be using that clip again in future clips when, like, Sean Hannity says very declaratively, oh, he's going to go to prison for 25 years and stuff like that. So anyway, uh, now this is, is going to get very dark, and I apologize. There's just no way around this. So... Uh, I don't normally go into Saturday in this. I usually just do Monday through Friday and then work the entire. This is why this is late. The podcast is late this week because I got overwhelmed um, and I spend two days on the newsletter and try to get it out to you as soon as possible. So a real after all this faux outrage over stuff that's really not that important because the speaker losing his seat was a big deal. But ultimately, nobody was harmed. Nobody's sick. It's going to be OK. They'll figure it out. So a real disaster strikes after all this manufactured outrage. So on Saturday morning, Hamas militants from the Gaza Strip breached Israel's defenses by land, air, and sea in a well-coordinated assault at the end of a Jewish holiday. The militant forces attacked unarmed civilians at an outdoor music festival, killing at least 260 people there. In addition to striking a few military targets, the soldiers went door to door in small border villages, indiscriminately killing and raping civilians while kidnapping others, including children and the elderly. The brutality was filmed by the militants themselves or by survivors of the attack. Social media was quickly inundated with cell phone footage of horrific images of people being murdered or fleeing for their lives. The government of Israel and its military were completely caught off guard. It seemed obvious that Hamas probably had help coordinating the attack. Within a day of the assault, the Wall Street Journal confirmed Iran helped plot the attack over a series of weeks. I decided to pick up an hour of Fox and Friends um, along with a Saturday edition of the PBS NewsHour. So I got Saturday editions of both to see how both networks covered the assault. Even in the first brief segments, Fox chose to editorialize the event while the news hour just stuck to the facts. And I'm going to just give a disclaimer. I will not be sharing my personal views on this conflict. And I'm not saying anything. I'm just showing you what two networks covered it. They're, it's fairly subtle. The difference is not huge. But Fox does editorialize and PBS does not. Concession after concession after concession has been made to Palestine. Yeah. In this case, Hamas, after multiple intifadas, took control of the Gaza Strip. Right. But they've used it to build tunnels and buy weapons and starve their people to, uh, with financing from Iran, which is why part of our own Brett Baer sat down with Bibi Netanyahu uh, in or just a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and the idea used to be land for peace. And the Gaza Strip is an example of how well, when you give land to Islamists, they don't use it for peace. Here's a part of what uh, Bibi Netanyahu said. How do you solve that part? Are you willing to give concessions when it comes to the Palestinians specifically? I think the Palestinians should be part of the process, but I don't think the Palestinians should have a veto over the process. And the reason we didn't have for a quarter century any new peace treaties after we made peace with Egypt and uh, Jordan 
We didn't have for 25 years a single new peace treaty because everybody said, first, you have to satisfy whatever the demands of the Palestinians are. You know, you've got to conclude a peace treaty with the Palestinians. Well, there was only one problem with that. The Palestinians don't want a peace with Israel. They want a peace instead of Israel. They don't want to stay next to Israel. They want to stay instead of Israel. So that wasn't going to get us anywhere. So you can agree or disagree with what um, Pete Hugseth just said there or what with Bibi Netanyahu just said there. I'm not telling you how to think. That's not my job. Just pointing out that that was definitely an editorialization of what's happening here. They're definitely putting an opinion on top of it. Now, I would say uh, if I was Pete, Pete Hegsis, like coach or whatever, I would have said, don't say Islamicist because it's too broad of a term. Go ahead and say Hamas, because if you're talking about Hamas, you should call them Hamas, lumping them in with every other fundamentalist Muslim group, which is what an Islamicist is, is misleading and because they don't really get along with each other. It's like any religious fundamentalism. Uh, believe it or not, like the more worked up people get about a religion, they tend to, if you're not exactly 100% with them, then you're the devil and they're against you. And um, in my neighborhood, I live right next to modern Orthodox Jewish people who are actually pretty open to secular people like myself. Um, and they live right next to another neighborhood that's Hasidic, mostly Hasidim uh, Jewish people. And they don't, they have, a, they have conflict. Um, just because they, the one group says, oh, you're, you're, you're not religious enough. And the other group is like, you're too extreme. And, um, I've heard these stories. I mean, they get along, they peacefully coexist, but there's, there's differences. Just like if you had fundamentalist Christians living next to another group of fundamentalist Christians, it's just something that happens. So, uh, but in the term of like violent fundamentalist Muslims, they definitely don't all agree on the same thing. So I wouldn't have done that if I were him just say Hamas. So the next one is PBS and you'll notice there's really no editorializing in this clip. Yeah. Tonight, months of escalating tensions between Israelis and Palestinians have erupted into a firestorm. In an unprecedented surprise attack, the militant Hamas rulers of Gaza sent dozens of fighters into Israel by land, sea and air. Gun battles raged for hours in communities across southern Israel, and officials on both sides say Israeli soldiers and civilians are now captives in Gaza. Israel responded with airstrikes on Gaza cities, flattening Hamas offices and residential buildings. At this hour, at least 200 Israelis are reported dead and 1,100 wounded. Palestinian officials say at least 198 Palestinians are dead and 1,600 wounded, most from fighting in Israel. I love the writing on PBS because he includes so much in that very short clip. He gives a lot of detail about the casualties and he is very specific in that he says that the people, the Palestinians who were killed were killed by fighting in Israel, meaning that was probably Hamas. Those casualties are military casualties, which is very different than how people might perceive a civilian casualty. And again, you can have any opinion you want on that. I'm just saying that that was very specific language. The other thing he said at the very beginning of that segment is he said, after months of conflict, and I wanted to jump out of my skin. And the reason why is because I went through my archives. This is part of the reason why the podcast is late. I'm nervously laughing. I don't mean to laugh at this conflict. This conflict is horrendous. I'm very, very worried about the whole region right now. So I went through my region uh, archives and found get this this is how stark this was over 70 stories 
This is from February 2022 until today. 70 stories that PBS covered about Israel, Palestine that Fox did not. So that is just unacceptable. That is that is why a Fox News viewer can be more manipulated, however you want to push them. I'm not saying to believe, disagree with Pete Hex that they're not. I'm just saying, however, if you're not giving them the full story about what's been going on in this area for months, for years, they're going to react differently than somebody who's more well-informed. So this is a sample of some of the headlines that I found in my archives. Deadliest day in the West Bank in two decades. Palestinian gunmen killed seven people in East Jerusalem. Israel moves forward with judicial reforms amid massive protests. Ultranationals protest for more Jewish settlements in occupied West Bank. Rampaging Israeli settlers set fire to Palestinian homes and cars in the West Bank. Attack in Tel Aviv. Palestinian driver intentionally ran a car into a group of people. So you notice you've got negative stories about both sides on that. And again, I'm not equating this as both sides. I'm just trying to show you that there's a lot more to this story that viewers need to know to understand the full context of what's going on here. Especially, especially, and I got so angry about this, the internal political strife that has been happening in Israel for months because Bibi Netanyahu wanted to push these um, judiciary reforms, which would weaken the Supreme Court. And massive amounts of people came out in protesting these which is part of the reason why Hamas struck when it did, and they've openly said as much. We knew they were fighting amongst themselves, so we took, we, we decided, let's go now. They said this, so that's why that context is important to know. Fox did report on it once or twice, but this was a much bigger story than you'd ever think on Fox. PBS reported on it repeatedly, over and over again, long, lengthy segments, detailed segments. Uh, Fox mostly reduced it to 30-second 30 segments on um, headline news. They just ignore this area, and I think it's a dis. So my plan is to go through as a bonus newsletter, I've already started working on it, and turn that crazy list of 70 into like 70 bullet points with hyperlinks so you can sort of get a context of how many stories have been left out to a Fox News viewer. It disturbed me from day one because I knew this is a very important area of the world that we should be paying attention to. We can't just take anything for granted there. Uh, because of this rising tension that's been going on for months, because of the internal strife in Israel, I've been worried about it. I didn't think this would happen. I thought something internally within Israel would happen. I thought maybe there would be um, some type of change in government that would be dramatic or like a, a strike or something, because it just seemed like this can't, this is just getting to a, a pace that it just doesn't seem like it's gonna resolve. And what happened instead is Hamas, which is a very extreme organization. Um, uh, I won't, again, I'm gonna leave my opinion out of this, but a very extreme organization uh, just took advantage of this, um, the fact that there was all this internal strife within Israel. So this podcast is gonna be a little bit long this week. My apologies. I just knew it was an intense week. It was, I did six days instead of five. And then we have this crazy, horrible, horrible story at the end. Um, stories Fox News ignored every week. I compare the hours I watch of Fox News to five hours of the PBS NewsHour, and I've truncated this a little bit, so I just went with the top stories. So here we go. Updates in the war in Ukraine. EU le leaders gathered in Kyiv to pledge they were still united for Ukraine. Biden reassured allied leaders that the U.S. remains committed to supporting Ukraine. 
The Pentagon warned Congress that it is low on money to replace weapons for Ukraine. Robert Fico, the pro-Kremlin politician in Slovakia, just won the last election with 22 percent of the vote. His party did not win enough votes to govern on its own and must now secure a coalition government within two weeks. For climate disasters that Fox News did not report on, India experienced torrential rainfall, which caused a glacial lake to burst its banks and resulted in flash flooding, killing at least 42 people with over 150 still missing. A New Jersey appeals court threw out a $222 million judgment against Johnson & Johnson over a case involving four plaintiffs who claimed they got cancer from using the company's talc products. The Superior Court of New Jersey Appellate Division found the judge in the lower court shouldn't have allowed some of the scientific expert testimony to be presented during the trial. The last ethnic Armenians from the separate area of Nagorno-Karabakh in Azerbaijan left the country. Over 100,000 people, more than 80% of the population, fled after Azerbaijan reclaimed the area in a military strike. The UN Security Council voted to send an international police force led by Kenya to Haiti. The resolution aims to restore order after the assassination of the president in July 2021 resulted in a massive surge in gang violence. The CDC recommends a morning-after type of antibiotic pill for gay and bisexual men that can be taken after exposure to sexually transmitted diseases. PBS included several segments about various winners of Nobel Prizes. The full list of winners was published last week. The government of Pakistan announced that all undocumented immigrants must leave the country by November 1st or face deportation. Many of the immigrants fled the Taliban takeover in Afghanistan. Turkish police have detained over a thousand people, including dozens with alleged links to Kurdish militants after a suicide bombing linked to the outlawed Kurdistan Workers' Party or PKK. PBS produced an extended segment on NSHUSA Corporation, an American machine company that is inadvertently supplying parts for the Russian war effort in Ukraine. Machine parts and equipment are being laundered through third-party brokers in Europe who use aliases to hide the true identity of Russian buyers. Drones struck a military graduation in Syria. No group has claimed responsibility for the attack, and at least 89 people were killed and 300 wounded. The U.S. Army has a new plan to recruit more college graduates and Americans with a partial college education, rather than solely focus on high school graduates. The Army has not met its recruitment goals since 2014. Pope Francis is set to hold a three-week synod to help reform the Catholic Church. It will be the first time women will be allowed to vote. The Indian government arrested the editor of NewsClick after several journalists wrote articles that were critical of the government. Indian authorities claim the media company was getting funding from the Chinese. NewsClick denied any financial misconduct. Alabama will finally get a new congressional district that favors black voters after a long, protracted battle with the Supreme Court. Federal judges selected new congressional lines to better represent the demographics of the state. The state of Alabama tried to fight the new districting, but ultimately lost its case. More than 2,400 people were killed after a series of earthquakes in Afghanistan. The quakes that hit the area were some of the most deadly in the past year. A group of senators, led by Senator Chuck Schumer of New York, met with Chinese President Xi Jinping in Beijing. The meeting is a precursor to a meeting later this fall 
between Xi Jinping and President Joe Biden. And those are the stories that you would have missed if you were watching Fox News. Now, by the numbers, very quickly, um, the top five topics for Fox for the week ending uh, October 8th, 2023, 25% was the ousting of Speaker McCarthy, 11% border crisis, crime increasing, 6%, Trump civil fraud trial, which also included that gag order, 6%, and then the government overreach paranoia. And that was sort of included with the Hillary Clinton uh, stuff at 3%. Um, border crisis and crime increasing are kind of evergreen topics on Fox. They always talk about them regardless. Because um, you can always find crime stories and you can always find horrible images from the border. And we do have a border crisis. I will give them that. We do have a border crisis. The numbers are um, higher than they've ever been. Uh, they're working on all kinds of solutions. I still believe that it's going to take congressional oversight to finally fix it. But that 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 I will give you my opinion on because I think a lot of uh, people share it. Uh, PBS NewsHour top topics for the week ending uh, October 8th, 2023. Speaker McCarthy ousted at 10%. Interview with Hillary Clinton, 5%. Artist profile, that's, a, that's an evergreen topic on PBS, 5%. Author profile, same thing, but with people who write books, 5%. And then that story about the NSHUSA Corporation that supplies parts to Russia without kind of knowing it. Um, there's That story is very complicated. There's a hyperlink if you want to read more about it in the newsletter. Um, so the words used on Fox, and again, this was 19 hours, so they're all going to be higher. But this was really interesting because it got dramatic. So Trump at 386, which is very, very large, Biden at 282, border 208, Speaker McCarthy at 196, crime 83, Israel 53, even though it was really that only that one day, uh, that Saturday, Hunter 52, so Hunter's dropped dramatically, migrant 42, chaos, just the word chaos, 40, Hillary 30, China, this is a dramatic drop, 23, commander the dog, and I made sure they were all References to the dog, 21, inflation, 20, AOC, inflation's only 20. They act like they really care about the economy, yet inflation consistently barely even shows up on this list. AOC, 17, terrorist, 15, Hamas, 8, and Fetterman, 4. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening. I know this was a longer one, but there was a lot to cover this week because there was just a lot to cover this week. I had no idea it was going to be this intense. Um, and again, look for that um, bonus newsletter. I'm going to be working on it all week. I'm going to try to get it to you as soon as possible. It may not be as entertaining as a podcast, but if you want to look through the depth of the stories that a Fox viewer would miss out on, I think it's interesting to look through. Um, and I will be back uh, hopefully next week. I don't perceive another bonus. Please not another bonus podcast. I'm so exhausted. I did two uh, <laughs> I did two a week in a row and that's, I can't sleep. So my cats, Odin and Thor, send their love. If you'd like to become a paid subscriber to this micro budget, uh, project, you can go to Decoding Fox News at Substack, Decoding Fox News at Patreon. There's a dollar sign next to my name. That's another way you can, um, donate my cats again, Odin and Thor, the official mascots of Decoding Fox News send their love. And I will see you at the next podcast.